Two bronze pillars stand in front of a round mausoleum, shaped like a man-made mountain ringed with trees. Built inside Rome's Campus Martius in the year 14 AD, this is the final resting place of Rome's first emperor. The inscription reads, In my sixth and seventh consulates, after putting out the civil war, having obtained all things by universal consent, I handed over the state from my power to the dominion of the Senate and people of Rome. And for this merit of mine, by a Senate decree, I was called Augustus. All of civilization owes him thanks. Blind History Season 3. I have to admit, this is an episode I've been waiting to do from the very beginning. This guy is probably my most favorite person in all of human history. John, that's saying a lot. Yeah, and I've I've studied everything I could possibly get my hands on around him. From when I was a little kid, I was just fascinated by this man who had, roughly at the time of Jesus, become the first emperor of Rome. He reigned from 27 BC until he died in AD 14. And he was the founder of the Roman Principate, He consolidated an enduring legacy as one of the most effective and controversial leaders in human history and, without a doubt, had the biggest role to play in the foundation of Western civilization Mm. from that point on. And I don't think that's saying too much. He was also made a god by the end of his life, something that most humans can only aspire to. (laughs) I mean, but everything he said is so true about him. He was just phenomenal. So Augustus wasn't his real name. Octavian was his name from birth, and when Julius Caesar adopted him, then he brought the name Julius Caesar Octavian, Mm -hmm. but then Augustus came seven years into his reign, and he never had dictatorial names of any Mm -hmm. sort, but the Senate decided to impart him the name Augustus. Yeah. Which meant the… The The revered one. The revered one, the highest one of all. The highest one. It was actually, there was a part of what it meant to be emperor that was connected to the Caesar part of it, which came from Julius Caesar, but there was a part that was related entirely to Augustus, which meant actually being in charge. Mm. And every emperor from then on called themselves Caesar Augustus. Augustus. But this guy, his, his shadow is cast across all of time because yeah. he built an empire which lasted for 500 years. Mm and which influenced all the empires that came after it. Correct. Nothing's matched the Roman Empire. No. Since, and if we look at the four emperors after him, we're all related. There's been so many, but none of them matched, could, him. matched him. No. Truth be told, he, look, was, he was extremely intelligent. He was extremely, extremely clever. From an early age, I think Julius Caesar saw that this little grandnephew of his, the son of his cousin Julia, that this kid was exceptional. He was sharp as a knife. He read politics, he studied philosophy, he went to Greece, he learned how to fight, he learned in a Machiavellian way to manipulate people around mm. him and to get the very best out of everyone who worked yeah. with him. I mean, he grew up as a patrician kid, but he wasn't overly spoiled. His mother had had an affair with Mark Antony, who was mm. Caesar's great general. And really, when Caesar died, he should have named Mark Antony Correct. as his heir. And why did he name Octavian or Augustus? Because Caesar must have been blown away by him. And in the beginning, he was, he was also quite sickly growing up. 
and Caesar called for him in one of the campaigns in Africa and he couldn't come because he was sickly. But then he came for one of the Spanish campaigns and he joined Caesar in many of the battles. Yeah, and, and he put himself at great risk, personal risk, even though he wasn't the strongest of kids. And he did have two compatriots who he traveled everywhere with who were also fundamental to his establishment Correct. of the empire. Agrippa, who would eventually marry his daughter, Julia, and Mycenas, who was really the father of Roman poetry, a great patron of the arts. And between the three of them, they managed, always with Augustus at the top of the triangle, they managed to make a state that is about as close to the ideal of one person as can be achieved in hum mm. human history. He also expanded the Roman Empire during his reign Correct. to its furthest reaches. Um, there was a period of peace unparalleled again in the, Pax the ancient Romana, world. Yeah. The, the Pax Romana, which later was called the Pax Augustana. Mm. But he was, a, he was a very moral, very principled man, sometimes to his own detriment. Mm. He expected everybody to be virtuous. Even and to, his daughter. And to be honest, and we'll get to his daughter in a second because mm. that was a major disappointment in his life. He married a woman called Livia, but he first had a wife called Scribonia much earlier than that. Mm. Um, that wasn't a very successful marriage. And when he saw Livia at a party, she was already married. And he arranged, because he was already powerful enough mm. at that stage, to have her divorce her husband Drusus mm. and marry him. They were happily married, by all accounts, until he died. Yeah. She was very loyal to him. There's stories, and, and there was a TV series, I, Claudius, about her poisoning and eliminating rivals, so her son and the stepson of Augustus. Tiberius. Tiberius, to take control. That was sad, because he was useless. He was useless, but Augustus managed to reform the state. He created laws. Mm. He organized the military. He built roads. He, in his own words, said, I inherited Rome brick and left it marble. And much of what we know about the great classical period is that period of his mm. reign. And the postal service. Absolutely. during his time. Yeah. Little things that we take for granted mm. in modern society today come from Augustus. Yeah. And he never liked to get the credit for yeah. any of this stuff, although he knew ultimately he would. And in his will... He doesn't really mince words about all the things he mm. achieved. There used to be in the place where he's buried, the mausoleum of Augustus, two pillars which recorded all of his achievements, and they could barely fit them on there. But the guy had a dislike for any symbols of kingship. He mm. would always wear just a toga and sandals. He would never wear the imperial purple. He didn't like to be revered as anything near a god. While he mm. was alive, although secretly there must have been a huge ego that yeah, was hiding under no that doubt. toga because he liked the idea of Julius Caesar being a god and he liked mm. people to know he was the son, son of, of a god. god. Yeah. He took Julius Caesar's name at the first opportunity. Mm. He took his inheritance from Julius Caesar at the first opportunity. He destroyed any opposition to his rule, mm. first of all from Anyone within the but, second triumvirate. But I think that's important to say, well, how did he go from being the great nephew to being the first emperor of Rome? And, and it was actually very, very hard because at the time of Julius Caesar's death, I mean, Rome was just thrown chaos. into chaos because he was murdered at his heart. And what transpired after there was phenomenal because he had a, a Marcus Agrippa was an incredible general and his close, close friend. And together they took out Mark Antony and then they decided not to finish it off and they brought him into the triumphant because it served him. Mm -hmm. At that age, 
if you think between 17, 18, 19, 20, he managed to take control of an empire. He had people like Cicero eating out of his hand. Correct. Cicero, who was this great orator, this politician, this spokesperson for the people. Mm. And he managed to get the patricians and the plebeians on his side. He also managed to get taxation right. He managed to bring bread in from Egypt so that the people weren't hungry. But there were cracks because eventually he and Antony were not friends. Mm. So how did the the relationship between him and Mark Antony devolve? Well, originally he wanted to take Mark Antony out right in the very beginning. Then he said, no, look, I need him because he had a very, very strong following with the army. And this is where he was strategic in that he knew he needed him to be able to take control of Rome. So that's why they brought together the second triumphant, which included another very, very able Lepidus. Lepidus. But he never liked Mark Antony. I think he was just binding his time. And Mark Antony was very unstable. In the end, he was married to Augustus' sister, and he just dumped her and, and just left her drift while he went cavorting with, with Cleopatra. And there's a lot of things that really upset him, because at that time of the triumphant, the second triumphant, they split Rome into three for the three of them. And you could see that wasn't going to work. So that didn't last very long. And then what he needed to do is he needed to clean it up, and he cleaned it up very quickly. And he wanted to take it all under his control. Correct. And he he didn't waste too much time. He eventually took on Antony at the Battle of Actium, which was part a sea battle, part a land battle, and humiliated and defeated him completely. Antony had ten times as many warships from the Egyptian fleet, but the sea was quite choppy at the time of the battle, and he had small ships, and they completely routed them. And when Antony saw this writing on the wall, him and Cleopatra gapped it. They managed to get through the battle, and they went down to Egypt. But then Augustus ensured that he sorted them out. And Mark Antony half-heartedly committed suicide, but he didn't quite do it, and he was bleeding to death, and they took him to Cleopatra. And then he died. But the story of her dying next to him with a snake bite, committing suicide – isn't altogether true because she went to Augustus. And this is to your point earlier, Gareth, is that he could be ruthless. And she went to him and tried to do the alluring charm that worked on Julius Caesar, and it worked all the way with Mark Antony. And he just said no. He was cold as ice. Cold as ice. So she committed suicide, which is what you needed to do when the game was up. And then Augustus ensured that Julius Caesar's child with Cleopatra was killed. Caesarian. Correct. And then the two children she had with Mark Antony. So he killed all of them. And then he took everything and any history that related to Mark Antony away in Rome and all around the different regions. And that's why it's actually quite hard to find coins coins and and busts and all of those things of Mark Antony because it was completely cleared out by Augustus. Well, he wanted to write history and he wanted to write his own story. Mm. And you can fault him for many things, but he hasn't left us with much option. And there Mm. are statues to him almost more than any other emperor. They keep finding all kinds of interesting things about Augustus now, which tell us a little bit more about the character of the man. But as I said earlier, he was principled to a fault, and he didn't look very kindly on his own daughter, Julia, who he thought was immoral. Um, she didn't exactly do herself any favors either. She's supposed to have prostituted herself to a whole lot of rich men in Rome. She's supposed to have been very licentious and difficult to reason with. I think probably just the force of this incredible father of hers made it impossible for her to live her mm. own life. She was married off here and married off there, and she was really just an accessory to him. 
sadly, yeah, he excommunicated her. He sent her to an island. And there's not much more about her in history. She was the ultimate heir, even though she didn't live to become empress, because her whole family kind of were the Julio-Claudian mm. dynasty and were the only relatives of Julius or Augustus Caesar. And they lasted uh, three or four generations, and then they were all mm, extinguished. All and the women in particular had terrible lives. Yeah. Exile, murder, mothers turning on sons, mm. sons butchering mothers, sisters being sent off to remote islands, horrible things. But I think the Livia Drusus lineage, you know, you look at lineages and it's just unfortunate that this particular lineage, I think there was a couple of uh, tools missing in that shed. Yeah, some mental health issues yeah. to say the least. Livia, though, um, was an extraordinary wife to Augustus. Yes, Augustus. no, there's no doubt. And, and all those rumors about her poisoning him. I mean, he lived to a very you know, ripe they, age. They find that eliminating any opposition to Tiberius becoming emperor, that was also there. But none of it's been proven. I know well, it's hard to prove. Augustus's great misery was that his daughter was such a mess and that his grandsons, who were meant to inherit from him, um, Gaius and Lucius, mm. also died before yeah, he had died, and that and was around the time that that, that Teutonburg Forest they got absolutely routed by the Germans. Yeah, that was a very big disappointment to mm. him too. That was his only major military loss. Yeah. But Augustus died in peace. He yeah. he was unique almost in that he got to die in his bed mm. at his villa in the country in Nola. And there's a famous story about how his last words are recorded. We have no reason to not believe them. That he was lying in bed. And there was a room of people assembled around him. And he said to them, have I played my part in this play we call life well? And they all nodded and went, mm. yes, Augustus, yes, Augustus. And he lifted his head one last time and said, in that case, applaud. Mm. And put his head down and died. Yeah, that's in, in every autobiography I've read that. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's incredible. Could any of us wish for more? No, he lived his whole life on his terms. When he was eventually uh, cremated, one of the senators who was present said they had seen his spirit rise into heaven and they declared him a god about mm. 10 days after his death and therefore he had achieved everything and more than he wanted and yeah. that he that he'd aimed at as a as a child and augustus being august yeah the so. month of august named after him the idea of someone being august is still the greatest compliment mm. you can pay to someone in politics he was everything yeah he was so there were many official accounts written of Augustus by primarily Suetonius, who wrote about his appearance like this. He said, unusually handsome and exceedingly graceful at all periods of his life. He cared nothing for personal adornment. He was so far from being particular about the dressing of his hair that he would have several barbers working in a hurry at the same time. And as for his beard, now he had it clipped and now shaved, while at every time he would appear either reading or writing something. Even while they were cutting his hair, he was reading or writing. He had clear, bright eyes. His teeth were wide apart, small and ill-kept. His hair was slightly curly and inclined to golden. His eyebrows met. His ears were of moderate size. His nose projected a little at the top and then bent ever so slightly inward. His complexion was between dark and fair. He was short of stature, although Julius Marathus, his freedman, says that he was five feet nine inches tall. Which is pretty average. Yeah, that's quite an impressive looking person compared to the shit that came after him. Yeah, it's you amazing. You think about Caligula and, and yeah. um, Nero. <laughs> I mean, they they 
always depict a younger man, but there's always this air of ageless majesty about him. Mm. He's got this look because you, you don't really see the eyes. He never referred to himself in any dictatorial tones, and he lived mm. in a relatively modest quarters. But he did amass supreme power. He was so wealthy from Egypt, as an example, that uh, they referred to him as the first emperor. He never officially did that, but they did. Augustus's body was laid on a pyre, or a crematorium, next to the mausoleum, which he was eventually buried in. Once the bier was in place, all Rome's priests marched around it, followed by the Equites, who were the knights. Then the Praetorian guard circled it at a run and threw on the pyre all of the triumphal decorations, often valuable silver or gold plaques, any of them had received from Augustus in recognition of acts of valor. Centurions lit the pyre, and as the flames rose, an eagle was released and flew up into the sky, as if bearing Augustus's spirit to the heavens. A former praetor, presumably a man with an eye for the main chance, solemnly swore that he saw the spirit of the princeps on its journey upwards. By the way, princeps, the word prince comes from that. It just means first among okay. equals. That was the only title he accepted, mm. princeps. princeps. Julia Augusta rewarded his sharpness of sight with a huge sum of one million sesterces. Perfume was thrown onto the fire, as well as things that the dead man would have enjoyed, cups of oil, clothes, and dishes of food. The ghosts of the dead, the manes, liked to drink blood, which invigorated them. This may have been supplied by gladiators who were often hired to fight at funerals. When the fire had burnt out, wine was poured over the embers. A priest purified those present from the taint of death by sprinkling water over them with a laurel or an olive branch, and the mourners were then dismissed, each of them saying, Vale, as he or she left the scene. Eventually, only one person was left behind the ashes, Julia Augusta, widow and now daughter of the dead princeps. The old lady remained where she was for five days. Then, attended by leading equites, who were barefoot and wore unbelted tunics, she collected the bones and lodged them in the mausoleum. Hmm. Incredible account. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've been to the house that he supposedly lived in on the Palatine Hill. Yes. Yeah, and it's a, sim- there, yeah. it's a simple little building. Yeah. You can still see some of the wall mosaics and murals that were obviously there during the time of Augustus, and that's called the Domus Augustana. And it's a very simple little place. Mm. It's not a palace. You know, later on, Nero had the Domus Aurea, and you had all these people who had these enormous, great big palaces. Well, they had the ego, but not the intelligence. No. And this guy, he just did not want people to treat him like a king, even though he was more than a king.